coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I speak with the owner and operator of No Other Choice Firearms Training and discuss the truth about gun control. This episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA, the official ammo sponsor of The Gun Experiment. Be sure to check out their Prime membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. I also want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot get the show started without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Doing awesome. Uh, our guest tonight is getting ready to fly out of here after we're done, and I'm getting ready to drive somewhere across this great country and uh, trying to get the car ready. That's awesome. Well, it's a beautiful time of the year here in New York, and uh, I yep. know that it is summer because you rode your bike up here. I did ride my bike up here. Yeah, it was a nice little ride, and uh, it's only a few hundred yards. But yeah. I, can, I, I guess technically not summer, right? We're close. We're close. We're, we're close. getting close. We'll round up. We'll round up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So how you doing? I'm all right. Like I said, just uh, running crazy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm heading out on vacation a couple of weeks and um, just trying to make sure that uh, that Lincoln is ready for the road trip. Cool, cool, cool. It's, uh, it's, it's taking some of my uh, firearm money and uh, <laughs> having to put it into that, but that's okay. All right. So listen, I want to get into this thing, but a couple of quick little things. One, I want to remind all of our listeners that uh, the Discord page that we started is growing. and It it's really active, is, yeah. You know, and... Uh, I feel like there's like... A, Two or three people that are joining every every yeah, few days. It's really cool. So if you want to join, uh, hit me up. Either DM me on Instagram or go to the show notes where we have a link, and you can join the group, join the crew. And uh, I also have a new review for us, Keith. Oh, excellent! Yeah, so we have a five star review titled "Awesome, Awesome Content" from Evan Hill, and he simply said, "I loved episode sixty since I am in New York. It is so relevant and important to understand the protections available to me as a gun owner in New York." Thank you both. You know, that's really good. I actually got a phone call from someone that listens to the show that's a friend of ours, and uh, he said the same thing. You know, yeah. just like it was nice to know that there was somebody out there that actually was offering something. We've talked about it a bunch of times, but, you know. Tac that, Defense. That, this that, is, that this is the defense. legal program yep. for New Yorkers, and you joined it, right? I did join it. Yeah, I did. Very cool. Uh, awesome. So it's all I can get, so yeah. I'm taking it. Peter gets my money. You go, go with the <laughs> option that's there. <laughs> All right. So if you're out there, uh, one way that you can really support the show, if uh, if you're uh, so inclined to do so, is do what Evan did and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. Keith loves hearing it. Boost that ego a little bit. Sure. Yeah, man. So our guest tonight is a staunch Second Amendment advocate and has a strong passion for building better communities through education. He's made it his mission to expose the lies of gun control, all while providing kick-ass firearms training. Please welcome the owner of No Other Choice, Kevin Dixie, to the show. Kevin, how are we doing? Man, doing good. Appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. I always like it when uh, when Mike's intro st- uh, has the word staunch in it. It's like such a, it's just a good word. Yeah, I love that word. <laughs> yeah, it's too kind. Way too kind. <laughs> I don't use it often, but when someone is staunch, they're staunch. staunch. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Keith, I'll let you lead this off. Oh, well, that's nice of you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, Kevin, how does it go? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I always, uh, w- you know, was very curious about, and we've been talking about trying to get you on the show for a long time, so uh, it's it's great to have you here finally. Um, 
I'm curious, where does that strong, staunch commitment for the Second Amendment come from? Well, you know, when I started in my own little juvenile journey as far as empowerment and improving uh, lives, it started with education, realizing where I was at. I'm from the I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm from uh, the worst of the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Like really true like poverty. So but never be I never wanted to be a continuous victim to my surroundings. So I started off as kind of being the the kid that was you know, involved in the mess, but at the same time, wanted better for us and wanted better for people in my community. So I wanted to look outside of the constraints that we felt we had that we really didn't. That led me to understanding civil rights. And so for about six or seven years, I was this little, you know, think he knows it all, 15, 16, 17 year old kid. But I was really trying to educate and empower if we can break this mentality, and this mindset of poverty and violence and, and drugs and just chaos. Right. It wasn't a, a great way to live. So I try to do it through education. I took a job uh, when I was 21. I took a job at the St. Louis City PD and I was there for probably and I worked in a, in a prisoner division. I was probably I don't know, maybe a year um, and I was standing there and I was standing there having a conversation about a year and I was there for 10 years. When I was standing there, we were having a conversation. A couple of patrol guys, a couple of us were just standing there and we're chopping it up. And the Second Amendment came up. And it wasn't my first time hearing about it, but I was deep into my, my fight for civil rights. And I even used my uh, my law enforcement career as a way to reach people and, and, and try to get them to do better. And one of the patrolmen said something regarding the Second Amendment. And it sparked me and it, I had an epiphany and I realized that all the civil rights I'm fighting for are protected by the Second Amendment. And without the Second Amendment, every every piece of empowerment, every piece of encouragement, every family we put back together, every business that we start is not protected without the Second Amendment. And that's when I realized Second Amendment is the civil right. We need this. And ever since then, I've just been staunch about it because it does truly protect everything else. Do you recall what uh, what he said, what this patrolman said? He we were talking about people's rights and, and it started off as a conversation about, hey, you know, um, people got to learn to do better. You know, we, we shouldn't have to, you know, continuously lock all these people up, et cetera, et cetera. That was kind of the gist of the conversation about education. And I know I chimed in. I was like, well, what we have to do is, is further educate people. Right. This is part of what I do. And it wound up getting into a conversation about guns because everybody knew I like guns. We talked about guns all the time. Right. And the patrolman said. Yeah. And talking about understanding rights, man, if people understood that their uh, the rights to the Second Amendment um, are lost, if they aren't doing the right things, you know, you can even lose your your privilege to carry guns. And then when he said that, I was like. Hold on. And then I asked, I remember asking somebody, I said, well, somebody just do me a favor and, and cite the Second Amendment. Not that I couldn't. I just wanted to hear somebody else say it before I can keep thinking. And somebody did it. Another patrolman did it. And at that point, I was just like, yeah. And then, then the light the light bulb went off. I was sparked. Now, I know you've had a couple negative interactions with firearms, you know, in your early teen years. But what what's your earliest positive memory of a firearm? Oh, that's going to be uh, as far as positive. That's going to be into my 20s. That's going to be when I actually took took the position with the PD in a, um, you know, first first day there. They were like, hey, getting this paddy wagon. I was like, this is not the way this is supposed to work. I, this Okay, but jumped in the back of this paddy wagon and they drove a bunch of us down to um, the police academy. All right. The police academy's range, rather. And we get there and I'm like, okay, yes, it's gun training. Cool. And I walk in and there are these five very stern looking gentlemen, uh, none of them younger than the age of like 60. Right. And and (laughs) 
they're just standing there and there's guns everywhere in this room, like just laid out. And I just, I literally, literally like not even a joke. My mouth started to water and I was like, okay, this is going to be fun. And we, we started training, um, you know, like anybody else, we started off the training class, we get onto the range and I was the the kid that was having a great time, but I was also the annoying kid on the range because I'm, <laughs> I'm 21 and I'm like, why did, why did it go bank? Like just shoot the gun. I'm like, yeah, I did that. And <laughs> did, I hit the target, work. but why did it go bang? And why does this thing do this way? And why are they shooting something different than me? I was just that kid. And eventually I was annoying, but I got a lot of questions. And uh, what happened is after the class, uh, one of the guys pulled me to the side. He kind of put that, that dad claw on the back of my head. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he pulls me to the side and he's like, how bad do you want to learn this stuff? I said, I want to learn really bad. And he was like, okay. Um, so you can come down you can learn with us. We'll help train you. That led to um, me being able to, to to get a lot of training and understanding from HRT guys, from a lot of the guys at the academy. And one thing that they helped me understand is how to teach. So that was my first positive experience. So, um, but everything before that was was all pretty bad. Was there any? You said you walked in and there was just a you know a, a table full of guns. Were there any one that you were like, I want that one first? Yeah, I don't. I, they can't even tell me why I was out, but I saw this thing that I know now to be called an MP5. <laughs> I'm like, what is that glorious hunk of metal there? Funny how they're just of, cool, uh, right? Funny how that's just like a cool gun. Oh man, it, it was it was so. It wasn't even supposed to be out. It wasn't even part of training, but they just had it out. Um, so we did get to shoot it that day. Uh, we we started off. This is 2000, 99, 2000. So there was still a lot of wheel guns around. Uh, in, in law enforcement realms. And that's right when the Beretta 92s were starting to be issued out more. Um, but it was basically wheel guns today and a couple of Berettas on the line. Those were, and that, that, that dang on MP5. I remember that joker sitting over there in the corner, but those were the two we ran with that day, the Beretta 92 and uh, uh, 38 Smith and Wesson, uh, 38 special plus piece. Hmm. Interesting. K frames, I believe they were. Yeah. So it's funny. So like, this is kind of like you start out, you know, with guns, sort of being negative in, in your uh, in your life. And then you have this epiphany. And now if we fast forward to our present day, we can call you an advocate. I mean, at this point, yeah. you're, an, you're an advocate for the Second Amendment. And my question for you is, as gun owners, you know, it often feels as though we're fighting an uphill battle, right? That's the constant, like we're fighting an uphill battle, we're fighting an uphill battle. And, you know, that's all in regards to us retaining our God-given constitutionally protected rights. So in your opinion, as an advocate, what is the single biggest battle that we face as a community? Each other. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? And yeah, each other. And that's simply because um, when your opposition to whatever you're trying to obtain in life or whatever you're trying to do, normally when you have a, like a collective that's an opposition against you, you, you study them and you figure out a way to really get around them. And for some reason, when it comes to, freedom in general, but particularly the Second Amendment, we would rather be snarky and sarcastic than build union and understanding. So uh, that's why I say each other. We, 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 we argue more about Glock versus CZ than we do about how to sit down at across the table from somebody that you don't know, somebody that doesn't come from the area you come from, does not look like you, and figure out more ways more things you have in common versus more ways you can combat each other. Um, so that's, I'm always going to say it's us. We are, we are our biggest problem. I definitely feel that that has gotten worse. You know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how old you are, Kevin, but I think we're all probably pretty close to the same age-ish. 
I don't remember it always being that way when we were younger. It's just progressively gotten worse. Yeah, that's what I'm. Well, I'm I'm early forties, and I think that's what happens when you give everybody a voice. That's what the internet's done. Yeah, that. Thank you, man. Yep, Agreed. It's refreshing to hear you say it the same way I would say it. And also, I would say, in terms of the gun community, part of the problem is that you said it best, right? The Second Amendment is the amendment that protects all the rest, and I find it interesting that even people who own guns don't view it that way. And there's a big difference in my opinion between being a gun owner and being a second amendment guy or girl. Like we, you know, yeah, we, don't, we all know a lot of people who are like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I own, I'm a gun owner. I just think that we need to have some common sense gun control. It's like, <laughs> well, you really don't support the second amendment. You just happen to own a gun. There's a big difference there. Yeah. I tell people all the time, like your everyday common criminal is a gun owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like the, the dude that's just getting up, or the girl uh, uh, nowadays that's just getting up. Like, hey, I'm gonna rob somebody today. First, first person I see that looks like an easy target. Yeah, they're a gun owner. They, they don't technically tra- own a gun. They don't train like gun owners. Um, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Uh, but they. That's why. And I often tell people too. I say, and I'll tell them, just because you own a gun doesn't make us friends. I say that all the time. Oh. Um, because I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be fooled by anybody. Oh, I'm a gun owner, but nope done talking. You're, you're not, you are a person that possesses an inanimate object and you have no idea what it stands for. So we can talk and be and educate each other. I'm not going to like treat you like the enemy. Like I'm, I'm, my job is to open up doors and open up hearts and minds, but yeah, you're, you're just a person that happens to possess, possess a, a, a thing. It's the same way. If you, how many people own cars, it doesn't make them mechanics and they're not out, you know, arguing for, you know, uh, free emissions. And I still should be able to drive a you know, an old 68 truck down the street and pumping all kind of, you know, whatever I want to the air. They're not Speaking out my language. fighting that, but they technically own a car. So I don't, I don't um, view them, view everybody as an ally just because you say you own a gun. My daily is a 27 year old Cadillac. <laughs> ain't, nothing wrong with, ain't nothing wrong with a, ooh, a 27, what kind of caddy? It's a 95 Cadillac Fleetwood. Oh, 20, like the, 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 the big boat that's like 22 feet long or something. Hey, hey man, ain't nothing wrong with that. That's still some of the best suspension in the world. I damn agree. Very far ahead <laughs> of its time, technology wise. It was luxury car of the year that year. <laughs> Back on track here. Uh, so, you host a train and learn uh, event for people in the firearms industry. Now, Mike ha- wants to go to this with me. He, uh, we, 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 he, He's tempted me almost once. We were really close to booking last year. We we just didn't do it. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do there and what the goal of that event is? Yeah, Train and Learn is um was, is a brainchild of mine, and I was supported by some good uh, good friends in the industry. And what Train and Learn is is my way of making sure that we do something that I I know wasn't being done in this space of the Second Amendment, and that was proper education around business and proper business acumen. So what the problem I saw was we would have, let's just call this guy Joe Smith. Joe Smith would show up and Joe Smith has a unique way of delivering a message. He can reach 50, 60,000 people. He is out there doing God's work. Everything is great with Joe Smith. And then a year and a half later, you don't hear from Joe Smith again. You're like, where'd this guy go? Well, he he normally falls off because he didn't understand how to properly run a business because we forget we are in the business of freedom. There is a business, advocacy, um, manufacturing, Gun stores, all this is a business, right? Our opposition to freedom, they get their funding from businesses. They operate as businesses and organizations. And in a large portion 
of us, we don't do that. We get in with passion and that's great because we're passion driven, right? The second amendment, you have to be passionate to, to stand a barrage of things that come at you, but you don't understand business. You don't understand total cost opportunities. You don't understand uh, forecasting. You don't understand how to work your niche. You don't understand marketing. You don't understand these things and many other things that flow with that. So what I decided to do was say, hey, well, you know what? One of the things that I, I, I was privileged to do in life is go obtain a couple of business degrees up to a graduate level. Um, and what I want to do is bring some of that knowledge and information back so we can actually teach people how to manage, operate and run businesses. Um, and so I, I called a bunch of my friends uh, that I respect in different regards, uh, different education, educational aspects and ask them what they contribute and, you know, give some workshops. And that's what we do. We go there and we're giving workshops every year. They're different, but we're giving workshops around business. And we're, we're having people with decades of experience teach these workshops to where you properly understand this is how I can properly manage my business. You know, how do I handle my finances? Right. Like we even had one uh, entry level firearm instructor come in and it was a female and she educated everybody on how she was able to scale her business just teaching entry level classes to $247,000 annually. Wow. wow. But also how she reinvested that money into her business to allow it to keep growing instead of just, you know, floundering the money away. And then I wanted to, so after we get out through the workshops, I wanted to get people out on the range because here's the ego problem with the, with, with our, our entire industry. Everybody knows everything. <laughs> um, and it's not a healthy way to live life, right? Even as a firearm instructor myself, I got 21 years experience. I know I don't even know half the stuff that's out there, right? So I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted people to understand that the one flaw you have outside of your ego is the fact that many people that are good at a thing aren't great at teaching a thing. So buddies of mine that I know are great educators, and that's what I consider myself. Um, I went out and got them. I was like, hey, same thing that these guys are doing in the classroom and girls are doing in the classroom. I just want you to do it on the range. Right. And I want people to take these workshops, but I want them. They're going to be focused on how you're teaching. Um, they're going to pick up the skill and they're going to learn how to run a rifle, how to run a pistol, whatever we have there. But I want them to pick up the skill. So we do four workshops on the range. Right. So every year they'll they'll switch up. Like this year we had uh, Akil Bay uh, with Taylor Defense uh, Training Group. He's 23 year uh, Special Forces Green Beret. He's out there teaching you uh, medical. He's also an active paramedic. Right. So he's out there teaching a medical class. And it's not just a simple stop the bleed class like it got busy. We were we were getting pretty, pretty deep. Uh, we had Ryan and Amber with Fit to Fight out of North Carolina where they got they got affiliate gyms all over the country. And then even in South America, they came in and they taught us hand to hand um, and what to do when that gun's not available. Uh, and then we had uh, Perfectus Group, Kurt with Perfectus Group teaching pistol. We had Barry with Barco training, uh, teaching rifle. And all these instructors are all from around the country. So now you got anywhere between eight to 10 workshops. We do fluctuate it a little bit where you're learning these different skill sets, but you're also picking up on how people teach and how to facilitate. And then we do a networking event at night. Uh, we always toss in something fun. I'm a big, big fan of what we do is stressful. So we got to be able to have fun. Uh, so this year we did uh, axe throwing, laser tag. Yeah. Uh, on the range, we had uh, night vision experience. So me and a bunch of buddies that just have some of that stuff, we brought out nods and cool illuminators and stuff. And we just let people experience what it's like to shoot under night vision. Uh, we do... Uh, this year and last year, we did a bourbon and cigar pairing class oh, cool. around a bonfire to teach you how to network, okay. right? how to properly actually network. Um, and then we have the sponsors out there, too. So they're giving you a rundown of their gear and what they have. And these are sponsors that are looking for 
partnerships. So we're also teaching you how to negotiate with companies. How do you actually get an affiliate deal? What should that affiliate deal look like? Do you understand their return on investment or what they expect? Do you know how to market and rate yourself? What should you be asking for? All these different things and how to have these conversations, but also understand how you execute on these different contracts that are out there. So we're teaching you that live because they're there. And we're going to we're going to have that conversation live. So we do all those things. And then the third day is all about collaboration. So now you get to mix and mingle with the sponsors. You get to mix and mingle with myself, uh, the instructors uh, from the classroom to the range and everybody else. And that day is content day because we're teaching you how to gather content. What does content look like and how to make content look good for you? Right. Some of the best guys that are doing this stuff now still do it off a cell phone. Right. So how do you actually make it tailored to you? So we have different people moving around that are willing to work with you, willing to hop in interviews and willing to help you understand how to be better. So that's an entire day. And then at the end of the day, we have a couple of uh, competitions where we give away things. I think this year we gave around eight thousand dollars, but the prize is two of them being um, rifles. So, yeah, cool. we, We try to make it a good time. Now, when guys show up to this. Um, I know that you've done it for a number of years at this point. So there's going to be people who come back and they know each other and they're comfortable with each other. So like as, as a newcomer, like if you show up, if Keith and I were to go, is there ever a problem where like, you know, the, they go, people go off in their own little pockets and they're kind of like, you know, cause they're comfortable in those pockets and you have newcomers not able to kind of infiltrate those little like subgroups and pockets. Man, that is a, that is a great, great question. That's the first time I've been asked that question on an interview. That's a great question. Here's the answer. Uh, if you were at Train to Learn, which hopefully you guys will be there next year, one of the first things I say, and then I say it several times throughout the weekend, um, is I need to see you around people you don't know. I need you to interact with people you don't know. That's the only way you grow. That's the only way you get to know other individuals and what they're doing in the, uh, in the realm of freedom. That's the only way you're going to get to know what, what they can help you with. That's the only way you're going to get to know how you can be an asset to them because all of us have to be strong in order for this thing to work. So I often challenge people, don't be around someone you know unless you truly need to be with them to, to do what you're there to do, right? But um, small groups, pockets, clicks, stuff like that, I think are unhealthy. Um, I don't think that they um, they foster good relationships. I think they build um, kind of these, to your point, kind of your words, this subgroups of people that go off into their own lane. And what naturally happens as human beings is we start thinking our group is better than other groups. Right. So yep. we don't want to do that. Um, and I encourage people to always mix up like I'll intentionally I try to be careful with 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 people. I know they're in business together because I know they're there for a purpose. But if I see people hanging out because they're comfortable with each other, I'll intentionally split them up. <laughs> right. Because you, you have to be there to do, to do better and, and get to know each other. Yeah. Well, I, I really do uh, like and appreciate that philosophy of the idea that we have to kind of grow and learn together. And uh, that kind of brings me to my next question for you, which is. Uh, I often go on people's Instagram pages and I follow them and and you're someone that I often will go to and look at things. And the other day I saw something, it was a picture of you and your son and I, I won't really paraphrase what you talked about, but you were looking at a mural that was done by Time Magazine called Guns in America. And as I read about it, you were showing your son the fact that his dad, Kevin Dixie, is was featured on this mural and I said wow that is really really cool and we were having you on today and I wanted to just ask you can you tell us about that experience and you know how did you get that opportunity and before you answer that I would just like to tell the listeners that if you haven't gone to this 
you should. It's very cool. It's interactive and you click on different people that are in the mural and it actually, you hear them speak about their experiences and it's people on both <laughs> sides of the gun conversation. So anyway, I'll, now I'll give you the, give you the mic. No, no, it's totally fine. So, um, yeah, that, that photo is, it was, it, it's one that means a lot to me. The top of that photo is me taking my son into the, the civil rights museum. And we're talking about a gentleman by the name of Moses Dixon. And I'm teaching him how great this guy was. And we're having a conversation about slavery and freedom and what the difference is. Um, and then we talked about what that gentleman Moses Dixon did, which is a guy that I admire a lot. At the bottom, it's me standing. This is probably two years uh, separate. But at the bottom, it's a picture of me standing in a mule in our art district in St. Louis. And I'm standing in front of myself like they put me in a, the center. It's it's a mural, but I'm the one I'm smack dab in the middle. You really are. And, I was I was looking for you in it, and I was like, oh, shoot, he's right there in the middle of the debate, which was cool. Yeah, that was in how I got there. I'll, I'll say for now. And I thought that was pretty awesome, though. So we um, I was having a conversation with him about. This is what I'm trying to do. So when it was a deeper conversation with my son, because I was explaining to him when dad's not at home, man, when I'm I'm traveling, when you're 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 seeing me speak, when I'm in videos and when when I'm not with you, I am trying to make sure everyone else has the quality of a life that you do in many different ways. So that was a moment me and him shared. I didn't even know that picture was being taken. My wife took that photo uh, as, as we were talking. And it was kind of cool to see his reaction, like my dad's a part of history, right? Like yeah. that was that was pretty cool. Um, and the way that I got on there was there was a local um, gun rights group in St. Louis that had been reached out to, and it was a, um, a young lady from Time Magazine that was like, "Hey, we're we're coming to your city. I think they were going to Dallas, St. Louis, and uh, Washington or Philadelphia, one of those two. And they were like, uh, "We're coming to your city, and we're looking for people to to interview for this project." And we would like for a representative of your gun organization to come on and talk. And these these guys are very, very nice gentlemen. They're, they're kind of older. They're like, no, nah, I want to talk to you. <laughs> Time magazine. Nah, I don't want to have a conversation with you. However, I was just at their facility two weeks earlier talking to them. Uh, they invited me in to kind of give a, a talk about my viewpoints on the Second Amendment, how we can do better. So the president of the club reaches out to me. He's like, hey, man, I got this reporter from Time magazine calling and um, I don't, I don't want to do any talking, but we know you, you don't mind. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to pass her number on to you and God bless. Right. And I'm like, okay. So she calls me, we have a conversation and she's like, um, yeah, they interviewed me. They, they just didn't let anybody on. They wanted to ask you some questions. And she interviewed me and she was like, um, we normally take 48 hours to call people back and let them know if we want them to be a part of the project. I'm telling you right now, before we hang up the phone, you're in the project. Can you make it this date this time? That's like, cool. Sure. Very cool. So I go down. I'm, 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 it's, it's right in my area. So I go in and I do it. The interesting part about that mural, though, first of all, to see these kind of artists, like the art, the, the guy Jr. that put that together, is it's my first time like legit, like meeting a like a, a French dude, like that was you know just got off the plane. So that was pretty <laughs> cool. He was pretty eccentric and and funny to be around. Um, and he didn't understand guns at all. None of the cast did. They were t- totally neutral. I'll give time their credit on that. They were really neutral. And they're like, all right, we don't understand this stuff. So we bring the guns in and they're kind of like, wow, these are cool. So like he had never <laughs> even touched a gun before. The guy from France never even touched one. 
So he's like, oh, these are cool. And we go in there and we do the whole artist thing. And then they pull me into this room. And this is how uh, I got into the center. They pull me into this room and they have three questions taped to a desk. They have an audio engineer in the room because there are people on both sides of the issue moving around. I was interacting with everybody. I talked to people that were against. I talked to people that were for. And I'm just being personable and, and, and being open and welcoming. I wanted to hear everybody's uh, opinions. But then they're like, hey, we need you to come back into this room. And they get me in the room. This guy's like, we are not asking you questions. These are the same three questions taped to the table that everybody's going to answer. You have three to six minutes and all I'm going to do is record you. I'm not going to talk to you. We don't want to infiltrate your thoughts at all. It's like, all right. I said, the only problem is going to be this three to six minute thing. But all right. <laughs> um, 26 minutes later. Oh, no. Um, yeah. I stopped. And this is um, the truth. The audio engineer was crying. Wow. He was crying. He, he, he admitted, I've never thought about it from your viewpoint ever. And we, we talked after I was done, uh, but he was like, you know, he was teary eyed. He's like, dude, I never, thank you. That's I was like, cool. oh, no problem. And so after they let the producers hear me, they moved me. I think I was up in the upper left-hand corner originally for the design because of my body type and I just fit up there. And then they moved me to the middle at the top of the table. That's why I'm dead center. That's cool. So yeah, that's how that, that's how that project happened. It was a really, really cool experience. The list of people that are on here is, is crazy. You really were, I mean, it really went to both edges of the extreme. No, it really did. So that was my next question. Do you feel gun owners were fairly represented in this? I think gun owners did a very good job. And from what I remember, unless there's something I missed, I'll give time this. They, from the production standpoint and from the, what I read, they let everybody have a voice. Yeah. I, I thought, I mean, I, I poked around a little bit in the in the mural and listened to some different points of view, but I, I thought so. Um, do you think a project like this helps us to find common ground on this topic of gun control and unite us? for the two sides or do you think that it, it, you know, still has its problems in terms of keeping us, you know, finding a common middle ground. The only problem with the time magazine um, release is that we didn't capitalize off of it more. Mm. I've had over, that was what, four years ago. I think I've had, I mean, I know from that release, man, I've probably had no, no less than several thousand interactions with anti-gun people um, that came from that magazine. Um, a half of them started following me after that. Right. I think so maybe you should reach out to time and say, maybe now's a good time to bring everyone back together and talk again. Oh, I did. Good for I you. Did. I shot, I shot, as we say, as a kid, say anyway, I shot my shot yep. um, to see if we can get this conversation going again. Um, of course, you know how it is. Um, that's a, that's a, it's a conglomerate, right? So mm-hmm. they have to climb things up the, the, the ladder. And then we've, um, we, we had the, um, forget, I think that was in Springs, Texas. I forget that, that unfortunate shooting. And now fast forwarding with the, the Buffalo and Uvalde, I'm pretty sure they're going to stay away from it. I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about this earlier. You said that we don't talk to each other. And I think that's going to be sort of your answer on my next question, but maybe we can expand on it a little bit. You know, why do people on both sides of, of the second amendment, really, in my opinion, it's, it's, you know, the side that we represent sometimes too. <clears throat> why do we just have we been trained? Uh, is it like what you said, just having everyone having their own voice, the internet, but to believe and run with the talking head on the news clip or the, or the blip that pops, pops across our feed, you know, how, how did we get here? Uh, I guess is really the, the question now that we both agree that, you know, uh, social media and the internet is sort of the blame. Um, people are as a collective and maybe not as individuals, but as a collective are in intellectually dishonest and frankly, very stupid. 
<laughs> and I say that with love and tender care because you are we have now entered into a world where we need someone to give us information because we don't want to research it ourselves. So we rather somebody we rather sit back with a bowl of cereal and listen to our favorite pundit. Tell us what to think about. Yeah, wh- But why? Why are we so afraid of our freedom? Right. We're so afraid of that uh, responsibility is what I have been saying on the show for a few uh, few months now. You know, it's like people are afraid of their responsibility. They want they, they just want to live in this fantasy world. That... So, Keith, you're you are not a big social media guy. We not know that. Yep. But so you, this is and part of this is probably why you're not. But for a lot of people who are. And social media, these companies, they know what they're doing. They yep. know how to keep you engaged. So what they do is they keep you in an echo chamber. Y- y- and they just feed you just enough of the opposite yes. side to rile you up, right? I'd like to say I'm a little ahead of the curve on it. You know, I, I was a social media guy. I, I had it for a very long time. I just, there was just a point in time where it's everything you just said and everything we've been talking about tonight and everything Kevin's saying. It just, I felt like I was being fed only what I should be reading. And yeah. I just didn't like that feeling. And yeah. I didn't like this feeling of, I don't know, it felt an awful lot like gossiping to me. Yeah. You know? I don't know about you, Kevin, but like for me, I have a couple I have a couple of hard line things. Like I will not debate on social media. I just won't do it because debate discourse, I believe, needs to happen face to face where you can read people's emotions and you can have you know, inflection in your voice. Talking like we are would right. work too. You so know? I, yeah, of course. But I will not engage with like people in comments and things. I just, I, I won't do it. So, but how do you, how do you manage being a social media guy because you have a brand and not getting caught in that echo chamber? One thing that I do is um, I have a, I instituted years ago a two response maximum. Oh, right. That is my max. You might, and I, I very rarely get to the max, but that is my max. After two responses, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not engaging, wasting any more time. There are a lot of people that that like to talk on my social media platform, so they can they'll engage with you, and you're still getting the conversation that you desired. But for me, um, after after two responses, I'm done, um, and that's max. And I'm very careful about how I use those. I've recently uh, found this feature too that uh, first I thought was. Um, kind of a abuse but then when i really start researching it i started to like it it's called the block feature um <laughs> you know started utilizing that and yeah. i just i understand that what and then i'm very clear about what i'm doing so i'm not there on using social media um as a way to de- debate people i'm simply there to expose you to different thought yes and i lose people on both sides of the issue because like i will call out uh, a Republican just as quick as I'll call out a Democrat. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me because I'm 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 apolitical. I'm politically homeless. I don't care. Uh, I'm about freedom and I'm about the, the the betterment of human beings. So anybody who stands against that, I have an opinion about them. If they cross my radar and I just don't I don't allow people's ignorance to get to me. And you don't want to get into a habit where you are patronizing that echo chamber, because guess what happens as soon as and I have it. And this is just an example, because I have this one happen more often than not. Um, you'll get somebody that's like, oh, it's a dude, it's pro-gun, great, follow, right? They got no issue with that. And every gun, something related, they are commenting and they're on my side because it's very rarely, very rare that I'm not getting along with somebody that's pro-gun about guns, right? So, but as soon as I say something about race, I get called names. Well, it's funny you say that because I was going to say one of the things that I really do respect about your content 
is that you don't shy away from tough conversations. And I think that that's important. And and I try to do that on this con- on this show when I have conversations with guests and whatnot. So you just brought up the race issue. And when you talk about issues related to race, often in regards to self-preservation through firearms, you've been accused of race baiting. So why mm-hmm. do you think that is? Because I, w- I, was, I was looking at some stuff. My wife was next to me and I was like, you know, this is our guest. This is Kevin Dixie. I was exposing her to your content. And I said, I was talking about this particular topic and we looked at a couple of different things and she goes, he seems like he's just kind of fair and logical and calls out bullshit on both sides. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And we just kind of both looked at each other and laughed. But like, why do you think that you get this sort of accusation so badly? Because people thought they were walking into an echo chamber and then they realized they weren't. I am the opposite of an echo chamber. So when they get there, they're like, oh, you know, especially the guys that are staunchly, you know, gun, like gun, gun, gun. And then I start breaking down and having, you know, my captions are pretty long. <laughs> you know, I start breaking stuff down and saying, I want us to have a conversation and realize, you know, where each other is coming from. And I'm going to have this elongated conversation with you or the best I can in the time that I have, because I want understanding to be shared. And a lot of people can't deal with that because now it's forcing them outside of their comfort zone. It's forcing them to look inward. It's forcing them to say, oh, you know what? Um, When I was saying that all gun control is racist because it helped push my 2A beliefs, Yeah, but then I had to acknowledge the fact that if I'm saying gun control is racist, that means there's still racist laws on the books, which means there's still racism that exists. So in order for me to say that uh, gun control is racism, then I have to acknowledge the racism that still exists. Oh, crap. I keep saying that the the party of the left, for example, is the party of racism. (laughs) And they've been running these urban centers for 80 or 90 years, however long it's been. And this is the decay that has occurred because of the way that they're treating black people. And, oh, look at this. They passed this other law. All these areas are horrible. Oh, my God, I can't believe that this party is doing it. All these races are horrible. And then when you say, yeah, these racist laws in this city, racism doesn't exist. You're exaggerating. Stop race baiting. You think uh, you think it's a guilty conscience on their side? Yeah, I believe that they're in their face with their ignorance and ignorance is not a bad thing. Right. I'm ignorant to a lot of things. They're faced with their ignorance from a source that is not yelling at you. I am not a Black Lives Matter supporter. Right. I am not the one that supports the organization, the sentiment. Absolutely not the organization. So I'm not yelling and chanting and asking you to coddle me and hold me and make me feel safe. If I need to, I will eliminate you from the earth, but I'm going to have a conversation with you for hopefully we can grow and become better together. That is my goal. So I think when they are faced with somebody who is being logical, who is being reasonable and who is giving you information that you can easily research and is doing it in a way where he's not trying to make you feel stupid. He's not trying to tell you that you are uh, an a-hole because you thought this way up until this point. He's like, hey, I'm on your side, but in order for us to build brotherhood, Uh, a kinship in order for us to do that and understanding we have to listen to each other. We have to hear our perspectives. We have to be adults. If we're not, then guess what? The, the political pundits, the powers to be, whoever they may be are going to continue to use the fact that we won't sit down at the table and have a discussion about really what's happening in the world against us. And guess what? Our kids will be having these same debates in 40 years. (laughs) No, No doubt about it. Kev, where can people find you? Where Where is the best place for people to hook up with you? Um, Instagram is going to be the place I'm most active. Um, that's 
the real underscore NOC for no other choice, the real underscore NOC. Also the real NOC for all the other social media platforms uh, that includes YouTube, Facebook, things like that. But I am most active on Instagram. Um, the other place, place that you can find me is the podcast that I've recently launched. It's called Stogies and Straps. So that's uh, that podcast is just Stogies and Straps. That's on Instagram and on YouTube. Uh, that is where you can see me actually kind of leveraging um, some of my, um, I don't know, some of my connections where we're bringing in, um, um, you know, from gun people to politicians to I got a couple of pro athletes that are coming on that show. Uh, we're sitting in an old 1920s uh, prohibition um, speakeasy. Yep. And it's called Stogies and Straps because we're having cigars and it is a cigar based show. We're having cigars, having the discussions uh, around all the heavy topics in America. Yeah, I've uh, seen so it inside I, and outside of those. I love the name and uh, yeah, the it's very great. catchy. And I have all the links to all those places uh, in our show notes and uh, people can go check that out. So, Kevin, we play a game on this show called Run and Gun. We've never had a guest not play it, so I'm hoping you won't be the first. Uh, it's a 10 question rapid fire game. And. As of now, Keith, is it still Tony Simon? Tony Simon's got the record. Yeah. He, by the way, he, right. the, other, the other day I said something. He goes, the reigning champ will <laughs> gladly oblige. And I was like, man, I'm like, you cocky motherfucker. <laughs> uh, all right. So you ready to do this? Yep. All right. What is your favorite gun in your personal collection? The truth. What gun would you buy if money was no object? MP5, fully automatic. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Oh, that would probably be um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Favorite caliber? 6.8 Creedmoor. 6.5 Creedmoor, sorry. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Hmm. Being with my kids, doing cool. whatever. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Strength. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Hmm, my son. Let's mix it up! Wow, that was pretty fast, Keith. It wasn't Tony Simon fast, but I he had to say trained. There was no... Uh, yeah, there was nothing that, else was, that was good. I, I don't know. I'm going to go back in time, Tony. You can. I, I'm telling you, I he, he took a little bit of extra time. Tony um, also cheated, by the way. Well, Tony's a listener, so he knew, <laughs> he knew the questions. Yeah. No, but that was really, really good. Let's Mix It Up is brought to you by Onsite Firearms Training. They have an extensive course offering and teach classes across the country. You're guaranteed to find a course to meet your needs, so check them out and get trained by the same outfit that trains the gun experiment. And on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we're going to talk about, in air quotes, the truth behind gun control. So you mentioned that your favorite gun in your personal collection is the truth. So give a real quick synopsis of what the truth is for our listeners, and then I really would like to talk about that and some of the gun control issues that we're dealing with today. Well, the, the truth came about, one of my buddies... Um, I was I put up a joke. It's a meme of Pablo Escobar standing in a, after that the show um, um, Narcos, a, a pretty recent one. Pablo Escobar standing in a pool and he's kind of looking off to the distance and there are tons of funny memes around it. And I put up one and I was celebrating um, a couple of friends of mine, Coleon Noir and uh, Ken Scott. And they had just released their own personal firearms. And one with the advocate Ken Scott with the Prevectus Elite. And I was like, hey, when all your friends have a, a signature gun and you don't, right? And it was meant to be <laughs> funny. And I, I gave a caption and a, a breakdown of both of their firearms and uh, told people to go support them. Well, in that, a buddy of mine, Wayne Hammer, 
kind of kicked me in the butt and he's like, so where is yours? I'm like, I'm not putting out a gun, dude. He's like, well, you got the, you should. I'm like, I'm not. But he knew I had been working and designing on my own HK uh, VP9 just for me, though, like a one-off. I've been designing this gun for a, a couple of years. Uh, HK VP9s are my favorite handguns. So I have been designing it, tweaking it to be my own. And I said, that's not good enough. Uh, and he was like, well, think about it. I was like, all right. And I sat and I kept thinking about it. I'm like, the only way I'm going to do this is if we can be more than a gun. Like putting out a gun to me is just not, it's cool for my friends. It's just not, it's not what I want to do. Um, I need to put out something that has a meaning to it. And I'm like, and I was just sitting thinking one day and I'm like, um, I remember listening to some gun control stuff. I'm like, this, if you knew history, this is, you're full of lies, man. Whether you know you're telling lies or not. And then it, a voice just spoke to me and said, well, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So what we did was we got with uh, uh, Wayne introduced me to Larry with JNL Machining, uh, who and then we we got Peter with Carolina Custom Foam involved, who is uh, yeah, really, we, really skyrocketing and take it off. And we know Pete. he came in and he was like, hey, well, what do you want these things to say? I was like, well, these are moments in history. I think every American should know. Peter's a foam artist. Uh, he's more than that. He does great things with foam in general, even outside of the gun industry. And I was like, I'm going to tell you this. And I talked to Peter probably for, I don't know, days on end. And he's the artist. He was like, OK, let me work. And we went back and forth and we came up with these cases and this artwork that when you open the gun, it's the gun itself, which is great. However, the case is reminding you why you even own it and why you should have it. So we tell the story of the true story of the, true story of the Underground Railroad, Rosewood, Florida, East St. Louis race rides and uh, 1921 Tulsa massacre. And we tell these stories in visual form and there are actual words written into the foam. Um, with the East St. Louis rides, we actually have the print of the newspaper that's in it. So you can really read what happened. So Kevin, do, does someone pick the one that they want or do you just randomly send one to to a purchaser? No, you get to, uh, well, there are only, I think, I think my guys told me there are like four left because we made a limited amount of them. Uh, uh, we make them to order because I wanted them to be a collector's item. Good for you. Um, so, but if you reach out for one, you get to pick your case and you, you get to not only pick the case, you get to, you know, you can still order, which is a much lower cost. You can order different foam inserts if you want your one case to actually just have different foam. Got it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I have to tell you, this is interesting. I was looking at your, when you introduced this at SHOT Show, the video of that. And I said, you know, I said, this is, I've often said that I think I feel that the second amendment is a civil rights issue, a very important civil rights issue. What you're doing with this project, I, I fully agree. I think that it is there is racism involved in many, many situations that have been documented through history. And I'm of Italian descent. Uh, my grandmother came here, her family came here uh, into the New Orleans port. And there's a reason why I'm telling you that right now. And I said, you know, I said, I wonder, like this, this happened to black Americans and you're telling these stories. I said, back when Italians got here, they were kind of shit on, you know, uh, the Irish as well. And I said, I wonder if anything like this ever happened to my ancestors. And I went and looked and didn't take me long. There was a massive episode of lynching in New Orleans where my grandmother had lived in 1891 of Italian Americans. And the story, the short story of it, it was there was a police officer who was beloved and he was murdered. And when they asked him, you know, a witness said, you know, what did you see? Who did he, he gave a derogatory term for Italians and they mm-hmm. went on this 
you know, kind of witch hunt and, uh, and went on a lynching of Italian Americans. And it just was interesting because I, I found it, uh, because I was looking at your story and your project, it made me find out something about my ancestry and my, and my people that I did not know. So first of all, I want to thank you for that. You know, the fact that you, uh, pushed me to learn something new about, um, my ancestors that I did not know. It just goes to show you that this isn't about one group of people or any one person. This is, you know, gun control hurts and can hurt anybody. I think it's important that we we shine a light on that. That when there's gun control, you know, it's going to hurt anybody, not just one group, not just Black Americans, not just White Americans. Anybody can suffer from it. So I just think that that project was really really cool, you know. And thank you for for doing that. No, I, I appreciate it. I think um, and appreciate your kind words. I think that's the truth did exactly what I hoped it would. And I, and, you know, I feel sorry for the people that were so close minded that they would attack and say, oh, my God, you think that the only people that have been slaughtered? I'm like, do you think anybody could do any research in this country and think <laughs> that only one group of people have been tortured? Like, what kind of idiot are you? And just right? because you <laughs> highlight it's, it's, and, and it's, just because you highlight one time doesn't mean that you're saying it. That's the only time. <laughs> Yeah, right. And, and people, they totally ignore it. Now, I come from an area and I come from a space and I am part of the black community. So, yeah, I'm going to that's what my I, I openly say it. I started off as a civil rights advocate. So what do you think I was focused on? Right. 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 However, as I grew, I realized that in order for me to speak to other people about my perspective, I had to listen to theirs. I ha- That's how I learned so much. I even put out a video several years ago about the Irish Catholics and what was happening to them. I put it up on YouTube. It's still there. Um, uh, and how they were treated and uh, uh, derogatory terms for them and how it was very similar to derogatory terms that black people were called. Right. Um, I would encourage everybody. It's not necessarily historically accurate, but it gives you a pretty good in-depth view that it's a great show on AMC called Hell on Wheels. Mm-hmm. That'll, that'll show you how Irish were treated. Right. Right. And now I'm listening to you tell me about the um, about Italians. Well, I didn't know about that. So guess what? I'm probably going to do? I'm going to look it up because I want yeah. to know. I want to know these things that have happened. I knew about other incidents. I didn't know about New Orleans, but I, I want to know. And that's what the truth was meant to do is meant to open your eyes so you can see because gun control is cancerous. Right. It did. There is no secret that. Well, unless you didn't know. But if you didn't know, slave codes or black codes predate the establishment of the United States of America. We had gun control in this land before we were a country, right? That is just factual information. Well, once we became a country, black people still didn't have the right to own firearms. We still, there. I mean, hell, there are regiments of the Union Army um, that were black that went and fought against the South. And when they got, when they were actually in the South fighting against the Confederacy, they would still be, um, disarmed and sometimes shot and killed because they didn't treat the enemy properly because still as a black man, they weren't allowed to treat white men certain ways. Um, and then some of them got to keep their guns when they were out. But many states, because of the Union Army, started telling, hey, like Florida, Mississippi, a couple of Tennessee, Tennessee, hell, they even ratified their state constitution to read from every free man has the right to keep and bear arms to every free white man has the right to keep and bear arms. And what happened is after we got all this different gun control focused on one group, it spread like any cancer would. They said, oh, well, this worked with keeping them under control. Well, who else can we control, right? And then it just started to spread, right? You get into even the bonus marchers, which was a group of veterans, mainly white, in the 1900s, couldn't defend themselves, and the United States government put put their own military on them. You literally placed your military soldiers 
in a position to harm, murder, and maim the families of military veterans, and you didn't want them to have firearms in the process, gun control is cancerous. So it, yes, it started in a place, but right now it's, it's, it's about who can I control, who can I put up under my thumb? We use these groups of people as an experiment, kind of as test subjects. Now we got a formula. Now let's get it to work against everybody. So you bring up a really good point here, right? That they 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 tested, they tested the waters, and yeah. now it's like, well, what else can we do? And I always say, like, when we have these shootings, New York, we're in New York, right? I mean, we're deep behind enemy lines here. We always say that. And we, are, we already have some of the toughest gun control. And then we have the Buffalo shooting. It's like, well, that gun control didn't work, so guess what we need? Tougher. More gun control. And then guess <laughs> what? The next shooting, they're going to go, well, that didn't work. Guess what we need? More gun control. And we all know, we know that gun control doesn't work. That's why these keep happening. But it just gives them a reason to push for more gun control. Well, it's so, interesting. because So I'm going to play on the word that we're using today, the truth behind gun control, right? The truth. The truth is, is all right. We just had a bunch of laws passed in New York. You know, ten, 10 new laws uh, that were that 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 were passed in legislation and signed, right? Certain civilians not allowed to buy body armor anymore. Doesn't say it says that I can't buy it in New York. Doesn't say that I can't go to another state and buy it. That's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Rifles, uh, you know, Safe Act and um, and the way that we're restricted to have uh, certain rifles, semi-automatic rifles in New York state. And even before the new law, now you got to be 21, but Mike, what you had to have either a bolt lock. You had basically have a a fixed magazine magazine or have none of the evil features. Right. right? So you can't have a semi-automatic if the, if the magazine is detachable, right. Or you have to have a bolt lock if you want a detachable magazine. Anyone who knows anything about the AR platform knows you can fix that bolt lock in matter of minutes. Right. You so know, the end so, game here is, guess what the end game is? Total ban. Total ban is the end well, game uh, Where I'm going with this is the truth behind these feel-good gun control laws that people want. And I'm, I'm, some people want them. The people who want them, they hear, they pass, everything feels good. It's not the truth. Yep. It, you're, you're, you know, you're not educated. You're not enough. To, you don't know enough to understand that. These laws are not the truth. They are not any better off. And like we, like uh, Kevin, I think you said earlier, the, the the bad guy's already a gun owner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Kevin, you said something um, after I don't know which shooting it was, but you said something, and it was really, man, it was the right thing to say. And you were like, I don't even want to talk about this topic. I just want to like, you know, you want to. I think you might have said you want to go hug your kid, or or like go hug your kid, or something like that. And it's funny because I have a friend at work that's a very good friend and we debate all the time and we're on opposite sides of this conversation. And I said to him, I said, listen, let's pretend that you're, you are all the Democrats and I'm all the Republicans or conservatives or liberals or whatever terms you want to use. And we're on opposite sides of this, the opinion of this. I said, you and I can debate this all day long philosophically, but right now little kids are are dying. Kids are getting shot. Kids in the inner city are getting shot, right? People are dying from guns. So why don't we do what really matters and go to these places, these soft targets? Why don't we go to our schools and put armed security there so we can stop these animals from doing it? That's going to immediately stop it. And then we can have the debate. But if you want, if you want to stop these schools and churches, let's first put up security that can actually stop these monsters and then we can have our debate when our people are safe 
And that's what I've been, and every person I've sold that to, whether they're for or against guns, are like, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. We need to, we need to stop these monsters from doing this. And so, you know, I, I think when you put it in terms of that, it's common ground that a lot of people will agree on. I, I don't see how anybody can, can argue that. And I've, my, none of my kids have been hurt, thank God. And the reason why I put up that post, it was after Uvalde. I said, I'm not going to go pro or anti right now. Um, the protector in me wishes I was there and the the, the, the parent in me is hurting, right? Yeah. Um, last year, and, and thank God nobody was hurt, uh, but last year my son was involved in a school shooting. So it was... And it didn't make national news because nobody actually got hit. And it was at, during one of his uh, halftime of one of his football games. And I was out of state. And I get this phone call, um, you know, hey, there's been a been a shooting at the school uh, during a football game. We're all OK because my entire family was there. My sister, my, my kids, my, my niece, my son was playing in the game. And it was the most helpless feeling I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't there to protect them. But this is what I get on parents about making sure you're having open ended conversations with your children about what they can do to be safe in certain situations. And I'm not blaming any parent that unfortunately lost their kid in any of these incidents. What my son was fortunate enough or or, or fortunate enough to have a conversation with me all the time is that he was able to actually tell them how to lock the door. He was able to actually, and they were in a locker room, but he was still able to tell them how to lock the door. He was able to keep people calm. He was, he actually called his mom who was in the parking lot, told her what part of the parking lot to go to, uh, to make sure they stay low. Don't cut your headlights on, stay still until I come out. He was picking up his friend's phones that were too nervous to even dial their own parents number and dialing the numbers for them. And when their friends couldn't talk, he was picking up phones from people saying, Hey, we're okay. Uh, the police have us locked down right now. They're looking for the guys that did it. We're all going to be okay. His phone is on. He's nervous, but nobody's hurt. Like that's what my fifteen-year-old son was doing. Yeah, good job. Right? Good job on your part, and good job on his part. Yeah, I told him I was I was emotional as hell when I talked to him. Um, but so it is nerve-wracking, and I feel sorry for the people that had to go through that. I can only imagine what would have happened if he got hurt. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but we do have to understand I've been going through metal detectors. I wasn't going in high school. What was I in high school? Ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. We went through metal detectors every day. Right. We had armed guards at our school every day. Um, so I don't think that there is anything wrong with fortifying. And I hate to use talking points, but this one is really true. Everything in this country that we consider valuable, we protect it with guns. Yeah, it's true. though. Yeah. But our kids. Yep. No, you're right. I One of the things I, I read after it was like, try this on Wall Street never going to happen right we, we secure <laughs> our money very securely right mm-hmm. it's never going to happen on wall street and i just um you know th- this one hit really really hard for me because when i when sandy hook happened i didn't really have little kids um my daughter was older but when this time you know my kids are that's that's their age yep. that's their and so this really i had this real empty feeling in in my gut you know and Man, it was it was a really I, hard. I, one. I, did, I was online debating whether I was going to buy my kids a backpack with uh, ceramic plates in it. Now you and can't. Now I can't. I, I wanted to make that joke. I thought it was. I didn't think it was quite appropriate. Oh, but I mean, literally, no, you can't. Literally I can't now. Well, I can until July, and then I can't after that. But yeah, you know, uh, the you know, luckily for you, Kevin, this happened for your son when he was fifteen. You know, Mike and my kids are a little younger, so it is a tough debate on how far I I try to lack of a better term, train my kids to be prepared for this. You know, I, I still want them to be kids a little bit too, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you, it's, it's, a, it's a real interesting balance, man, because as parents, we don't want our kids to walk out into the world and be so fearful of it. They're not enjoying and, their lives. And any, anyone who's listening to the show knows our, our kids are prepared as far as it goes with with firearms. Like they, they, they're they familiar with firearms. My kids are shooting 22s. They're doing it safely. You know, um, they understand the risk. They understand you know, how dangerous a gun is, like all of that stuff is there, but it's this idea of, you know, that, that crisis management, your son was really able to be able to dig deep and, and, and keep his cool. And and that's a tough thing for, but I think that's where it starts, right? So it starts with my, my son the other day, we had like Nerf guns or whatever. And I was like, I said, Dominic, what's, give me one of the rules. And it, and he kind of knows the four rules, but like he's little. So not really, he goes, when the range is hot, you don't go in front of the gun, dad. I was like, I, <laughs> right, that's, I, a I rule. Was like that's good. <laughs> That'll work for now. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, I think it all starts there. And then as they get older, you can prepare them more to be their own, sort of their own first responder in a way, Yeah. you know, which is kind of what Kevin's done, I think. So yeah. yeah, you know, Kevin, I mean, really great job. And, um, you know, I think I'm, I want to respect your time. I know you got to get going here, but I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, your work both as an instructor and an advocate is helping to strengthen the Second Amendment. So I appreciate your honest approach in doing that. And uh, all the work you're doing is very commendable. So thank you for chopping it up with us and having a good conversation. And I hope you'll come back and join us again. And to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now Discord so we can keep the conversation going. 